look, I've got the diary out. I've checked the schedule. I'm a busy person. I've double checked. I've looked again and I just can't fit it in. There's no time for me to die. Okay, Will? I wish you would just fall out the sky. <laughs> well, lucky for you, I'm going to have a quantum of solace and not talk to you, I guess. <laughs> well, this is, really is a spectre. <laughs> I don't uh, think uh, that uh, even uh, makes sense, but I will roll I, with uh, it. I, I don't know. I, I want to go to a casino royale. Uh, uh, uh. No, you've just killed it. No. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone, to the Hit or Miss Big Screen podcast, where, as I alluded to there, we're going to be reviewing the latest James Bond film, uh, No Time to Die. I know it's a little bit later, but we've had some scheduling snafus and whatnot. And, you no, know, people we might haven't. As far as the audience are aware, we uploaded this on the right day. What we did do was after the last recording, we changed the schedule a bit to have this released last week. But as far as the audience are concerned, it's going up on the day we said it was. So okay. none of that, <clears throat> none of the slide digs. Ha ha ha. Okay. Uh, I know it's a little bit later than, uh, than the film's been out for a little while, but we've had to have a chance to see it and gather our thoughts and stuff. So hopefully you're still interested in our opinions. Uh, but yeah, myself and uh, I'm joined by my usual co-host, would, uh, who would like to introduce himself right now. Go ahead. <clears throat> No. <laughs> yeah, was, well, that, no, no, no. He I'm, forgets I, I have control. I can just knock him out if I wanted to. <laughs> of, the, of the chat. Not <laughs> oh, okay, yes. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he just comes to Bristol and be like, oh, your, your days are numbered, my friend. <laughs> but, no, no, I am well, Michael. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. That's uh, Will Templar, my usual co-host, of course, on the uh, Hit or Miss Big Screen podcast. And uh, we've both had a chance to see No Time to Die. We've both discussed it a little bit without getting into too much detail because we wanted to save it for the podcast. Uh, but we both definitely have our thoughts and we've both reviewed it on Letterboxd and given a particular score, which I won't say, obviously, uh, but we'll get to at the end. Without any further ado then, Mr. Will, do you have any kind of spoiler-free thoughts about No Time to Die before we get into the, the full notes? Uh, well, first of all, I before I watched this film, it was a ridiculous rush to watch the previous two films. Um, I right, literally yeah. watched the two films on um, being Skyfall Inspector on the morning of uh, the screening for No Time to Die. And of course, I haven't seen these films before, so uh, that was a rush. So to actually sit down in the cinema, just mellow out and chill and just enjoy the big picture, I loved it. I, I I really love this film and it took me more it took me away more than um Shang-Chi but the thing is some may say oh it's because you're watching in the cinema in IMAX really good sound really good picture um maybe you're being a bit biased because you know uh you haven't been in the cinema for a while so I can understand that, so if you want, just knock a, a, a star off my final score, because... A in full fact, star? A full star, because... The why I say this is because... No, like, if you think I may be a bit biased, because of well, the no, cinema... Well, you've been to see other films, to be fair. Oh, yeah, of course, and I will touch upon that. But the last two films I have seen, if you knocked off a star, I would be in line with the consensus. You don't have to match the blood. Uh, I, yes, I know, but I'm just saying that. Uh, but the thing is, with the two films I've also watched, so I've also watched The Courier and Stillwater, I am head head on the nail. No, hammer on the head? No, hammer on the nail. Nail on the head. Nail on the head. That's the one. Literally every other variation of that quid I, <laughs> until I got to the right one. Thank you. Um on the consensus for that one so i it's i would not say judgment, man. If that's, it's if you just, give it's it a just my judgment so yeah. if you think i'm unfair um 
on this film because I, I do have. Nah. You like something, you don't like it, man. No, I'm just saying it. These are my thoughts and also um, some context to my thoughts. So yes, I really liked it. Fair enough, Michael. Well, yeah, I thoughts? should probably I should probably give this the similar kind of context, which is that I am a massive James Bond fan, uh, which people might not know because I don't quite talk about it as much as I talk about um, like Star Trek and Doctor Who and uh, comic book stuff. But I'm a massive Bond fan. I've got the box set of the 50th anniversary collection, which is everything from Doctor No to Quantum of Solace at the time um, on Blu-ray. It was an expensive set that my mum got me one Christmas. I've got the others obviously on Blu-ray, including a steel book since. I've got like, book. the I've got the James Bond novels, encyclopedias and things, books. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm, I'm a massive Bond fan. So I went into this obviously not only having seen the previous movies, but having owned them and uh, kind of studied them quite well. So uh, my experience was different than Will who hadn't seen the previous films, but then kind of binged them just before the movie. Mm. Um, so again, if that if that's affected our scores either way, then make kind of that mean, decision for yourself. Um, yeah, like it, it, it did its job in the sense that after I went to watch this f- film, uh, literally the next day I did order the complete box set from yeah. um, Doctor No, is it? Is that the first film? From Doctor No, yeah. From to, Doctor um, No to Spectre, because of course, uh, the box set with No Time to Die of course isn't out yet um, it's up in my bedroom right now so that will be getting its viewing it'll be on my Xbox into the Xbox slot you could say and I'll be watching that from the very start to the very end uh, and if you want to know my thoughts on those films as well you can go follow me on Letterboxd I'll leave a uh, link to both of our Letterboxd accounts in the description so you guys can just go over there and see what we're watching because like i alluded to there we do in fact watch films that we don't review yes. so um, well yeah yes. I, I do post on that box every time though and um weirdly enough speaking of which from when we're recording this tomorrow i'm going to see venom let there be carnage and halloween kills so you can probably expect some letterbox reviews there in a day or two mm. so, but yeah so no we'll get there but yeah so, so, so if tomorrow you uh, or the day after you see my letterbox reviews of those they're not going to be super in-depth, but we will have reviews, not of Venom, um, we, we didn't, mm. simply didn't have the time, but we will be doing a review of Halloween Kills along with something special in the uh, coming weeks, so keep tuned to the YouTube channel for that. But yes, that's neither here nor there in relation to what we're reviewing at the moment, which is No Time to Die, the latest James Bond film. would say the latest 007 film, but that would prove to be a contentious statement based off of this blummin' movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so there we go. I won't get into that yet, but we'll probably get into it a bit later. Um, but the first uh, the first thing I will ask therefore is um, obviously at the start of the movie we always start with um, well there's a pre-credit sequence which is pretty long here but before we touch on that there's the obvious um, sort of theme tune and, and opening credits and everything um, so obviously mm. because it is relevant what are your thoughts on Billie Eilish's uh, No Time to Die theme and yes. the use of kind of music throughout well first of all the uh, pre-title sequence is really long my nan literally mm. pointed out that she was like oh my god was that just the start of the film I think it goes on for about 20 minutes before we actually it, get to the- yeah it's one of the longer ones I remember The World Is Not Enough is very similar it has like a full on like two action scenes before the credits actually roll wow but yeah I'm just looking at the duration now and it was actually 23 24 minutes so it, it was really that long that might be the longest yeah but the well it is a very long film anyway so the film might be the longest i'm not sure but as for the theme tune i love the chorus i don't like the verses i think it's too mumbled i think it's too reverbed and i think that's a problem with quite a bit of Billie eilish's music not particularly her last album which i did enjoy but before the last album 
it's just too reverbed and this song did come out two years ago so i understand it's her old um kind of style supposedly and i i love the chorus i think it's really catchy and i think to praise it massively i think the instrumental is the best out of the um bond film uh themes i have listened to although i do think compared to adele's uh skyfall song i think adele shits over this song but the instrumental of this one is fantastic and also the chorus you sound like an old man it's got too much reverb and auto-tune don't like it not auto-tune <laughs> just reverb and yeah i i don't know it it was too mumbled and i don't like that i, I personally love it i think it's very it's very Bond tune. Like I immediately recognize it as a Bond theme tune, but also like modern. It's not like it doesn't seem old to me, um, or like overproduced or anything. So I really like the whole thing. And because the previous uh, Bond theme that we got, I thought was was rubbish. The Sam Smith thing, mm. um, it just didn't it didn't hit right at all. And yeah, I agree. Skyfall was the quintessential, you know, the, the Bond film for the current era. So that's going to take some some beating isn't it but yeah i mean the, like i said the, the most of the themes are quite hit and miss because again the jack white and alicia keys from quantum of solace was also abysmal but then i oh, adore i i, I don't the, i wouldn't say that it was abysmal i i'll oh, say fair i would i would disagree but okay okay <laughs> if you like it you like it i guess i didn't yeah, like I it love, i just um, didn't find it that bad that it was, was catchy special, okay regardless <laughs> um i did love uh chris cornell the casino royale theme you know my name i thought that was fantastic oh yes but yeah anyway that's regardless i'll, I'll just touch on the, the daniel craig ones because that's kind of what we're reviewing here and the title um, sequence itself was uh stunning i think the visual that was it yeah yeah it always is but this one particularly how there was like clocks and stuff and i was just thought fantastic and like sand always, timers um, and whatever yeah it was great i always appreciate how it ties into the theme of the film every time every one of the yes. when you'll know that when you watch them every one of them kind of encapsulates abstract things that are related to the plot so in this case it was like dna helixes and human injections of things and um i noticed quite a lot of that stuff that became relevant as well as like the spy stuff and the guns and the you know the the romantic stuff's always involved there um but yeah, if uh, I'll, I should probably uh, link to this, but if you haven't seen Alan Partridge describing the opening sequence of The Spy Who Loved Me, um, it's gloriously comedic, talking about how, you know, oh, the, this person's just walking along a giant luger. She swings at the camera, a bit of bush. Nope, too late. You haven't seen anything. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is the Bond uh, intro is pretty much summed yeah. up, isn't it? So. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, I, I, I agree. I like the opening sequence. I like the song, uh, and I like. Uh, for, the, for you'll be pleased that I've made a specific note of this. That I really like the Hans Zimmer score, which I didn't notice during our Interstellar review to your chagrin. And in terms of the actual pre-title sequence, I thought it was great. It's one of the better scenes of the film. It was really tense, although I was confused as to why exactly Bond was kind of just. Uh, and from this point on, spoilers. I should probably say just if you haven't seen the film, you know, come back when you have. But. Um, from the point that Bond was kind of just sitting there letting them shoot the car and, and yeah I get like he was worried about her betraying him and all that and, but it was just a little bit too like do do something you know which was quite jarring for me but uh, otherwise it's fantastic action sequence and everything leading up to it and the bomb and whatnot so yeah what about you did you have any thoughts about the pre-titled sequence Will? No I completely agree with you um the car sequence really it jarred a little bit because directional it could have been better because i felt like it wasn't well paced or it went on for about two minutes i'd say and i guess that contributes to the really long pre-title sequence um oh. and yes i don't think it portrayed 
the oh this woman has betrayed me theme really well because there were no close-ups it just felt like she was struggling and you had these wide shots of the guns from the exterior so i don't think they portrayed that really well and again two minutes is way too long for such a scene 30 seconds sure but two minutes is ridiculous so um other than that i would also agree in saying the action scenes are great um, not to jump ahead, but I did see your letterboxed review, and you did say there were no great um, action scenes. You said there were loads yeah. of good, but there weren't many great, which is where I would disagree with you. I okay, think in this pre-title sequence, um, there's quite a few action scenes where I was really impressed, and there were two. Specifically, there was one scene where there were two action scenes. One where uh, James Bond ducked under like a conveniently placed obstacle on the road, which the car then flipped over. And then when the uh, bikes kind of cornered his route off on either side of the bridge, he kind of jumps off it with a conveniently placed rope to ha uh, to swing from. So yeah, it's plot convenience. However, I was really impressed with the action scenes and we cut to like a wide money shot, you could say. Um, and it's got like sun flares beaming in and I thought it was stunning. And I thought it was a really well executed action scene. If yes, it was a bit um, predict well, not predictable, but you know, easy, I suppose, because there's a get out of jail cards right there. Um, even though we don't know I until did, so, I it did happens. like the, the kind of I, I will say I did like the motorbike stunt part of that particular opening sequence and everything as well. Yeah, um, and that's, it's not that again. I, I'm just reiterating what I said because I was just talking to uh, our friends Andy and Phil about the movie, and I've said this to you and I said it in the letterbox review. I don't think there's a standout set piece that I left thinking, "Wow, this moment, for example, is spectacular." Um, but I didn't think they were bad. I just I know there was a lot of sequences that I was like, "Oh, that was good. That was good. That was good." Nothing really stood out. Whereas, for example. When I left Spectre, um, I was like, wow, that co that car chase was fantastic. Yes. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And that high-rise um, building sequence was mm. great. That was a fantastic action set piece. Like, those are two off the top of my head, and I've only seen that film a couple of times. But yeah. I could name, like, the, I left the film still thinking about those, whereas this one, I'm like, I'm remembering bits of them now that you're describing it, but they didn't really jog. Fair. They, they didn't really lodge in the memory, you know? Spoiler um, alert, if you are watching this review then and you haven't seen the film, what the hell are you doing? Click off this video I've already now. said spoilers, but yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. However, it's not really like a flashy action scene, but how at the end where James Bond does die, um, quote-unquote die, while well, he does this situation of uh, this incarnation, you could say, well, this portrayal, let's say, it's a self-contained story because it is one uh, big narrative. That's something we'll get into, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so when he does die, it's not actually, well, it is technically actually and flashy, well, massively flashy, <laughs> but... Um, what I'm trying to say is, it's not the typical gun chase and whatever. However, I was really yeah. left stunned that they left the scene going for so long until literally the moment he blew up. So, like, you had all these missiles, like, launching onto the island. And yes. they literally didn't cut until the, they were literally right beside him. And I thought that was fantastic and they kind of engulfed him in the flames that really stood out and that's an action sequence and if I wanted you don't to talk about great, that yeah, I want to talk about that a little bit because I think that relates to one of my other points which I should have mentioned sooner which is um, I saw this film with my friend Stephen um, Stephen Brown who I've done mm. a Star Trek review with but he came away not liking the film at all and he refused yeah. to accept that like um, because his big criticism was oh James Bond doesn't die it just won't it, I can't have it it won't happen uh, it's never happened in any other films and he even left this film saying 
all I'll say is that you didn't see your body. And I was like, the director quite purposefully put you to the point where he was incinerated because he probably knew people were going to be like, oh, he escaped, he's James Bond. So it really did have to show you, like, no, he did. You know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. I, I mean, um, I can... Uh, if I knew the context of the franchise better, then I could have a more informed opinion on it. But the way I see it, as someone who's watched all of the uh, Daniel Craig films, is again, like I just said, it's one big narrative. And um, unlike all the other Bonds, I've read that this is the first time they actually anticipated a final film for an actor. Yes. So um, this is a really unique opportunity it, it kind of gets into the trope where a final film of something has to result in a death and the thing i particularly linked this to was especially with the family bonds that this film does establish which the other uh, daniel craig films at least uh, don't do it's the essence of family and the film franchise i kind of linked this to was the has fallen franchise have you seen those films like the london has fallen olympus has no, fallen uh, well in the final film we get established well we get introduced to the dad of the lead protagonist and it's kind of that fatherly son bond and um by the end i do think he dies i don't know i can't remember it correctly but you still have that parallel and i guess you don't have that all in the previous films but suddenly you do and you're like oh something is coming and then this film does exactly that so it does fall into like a trope i guess or a trope that's developing because it's not been a historical one with franchises but i do see at least modern day because uh, the article did say this specifically that at least modern day films they have to have a death at the end of it of the narrative for it to be so impactful and i understand that and i think this could have been written differently and perhaps left open but do i think the him dying is a negative absolutely not because if you think of the character as one person then how do you explain away the Daniel Craig portrayal uh, compared to uh, Timothy Dalton? Because I heard that he's very different and that Daniel Craig gave the best performance, uh, like in terms of actual, again, the philosophical James Bond's portrayal in his head, like he was the most dedicated to the original Ian Fleming novels or uh, description of the character. And also, how would you describe just the general changes of his facial features well i want to talk a little bit about to this and i'll start by saying yeah you're getting a little bit into the weeds with that but it's something that i can talk to as a, a bond fan and fanatic who kind of knows these things which is that until casino royale they wanted to have their cake and eat it with that whole continuity thing because they wanted i think the audience to still have it be that it was all the same person uh spoiler alert for on her majesty's secret service uh, which i will talk about so if you haven't seen that apologies um but in that film bond basically gets married uh, to Diana Riggs' character, uh, Countess Tracy, um, and she dies at the end of the movie. And it's like a huge impactful event in James Bond's life. Uh, and so naturally, a couple of times after that, in Roger Moore's films, you see that he's visiting Tracy's grave. And I think it's mentioned in the Dalton film or something as well. So it's kind of like, it is supposed to have been happening to the same guy and you're just supposed to either head kind of away or ignore the kind of different appearance and the slightly different portrayal because they kind of wanted it to have this con this loose continuity. Yeah. Um, but I still disagree that, that it's a bad thing to have him killed off because I don't understand how anybody can come away from Casino Royale and not realize that that is a genuinely complete reboot because it yeah. starts with him getting his double O. It's <laughs> just like... Yeah. That is film language for just like, look, we're starting from the beginning again. Mm. Disregard everything you've seen. This is a new 
continuity or timeline or whatever you want to call it. Um, and to Stephen, I've had this discussion and bear with me, it is relevant, but I pointed out that I compared it to the, the recent Star Trek movies, which are mm. still linked to the sort of overall franchise, but they're in their own timeline or whatever you want to call it. And I was like, something controversial happens in the first one of those that I don't particularly like, but that everybody just says, well, it's fine because it's not in the primary whatever timeline you know of. And I was like, how is that any different than just, well, this is just the James Bond of these five movies that died. It's not every James Bond ever. So if yeah. you don't like it, then fair enough. There's going to be another one. I mean, the end of the movie has the traditional James Bond will return. We'll continue. You're so, over, over yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the way I saw it is like, I finished watching the film and I thought whoever plays the next James Bond is going to have their work cut out. Because not only is Daniel Craig a really good actor and his portrayal of James Bond was excellent in my opinion. I, again, I can compare it to the old ones, but I do think he performed really well, especially in this final film. If we're talking about Daniel Craig quickly, he was superb in this film and I think it's one of his career highlights in my opinion in terms of performance. Um, but besides the point, whoever plays the next James Bond good luck to you because uh, no matter what happens now the diehard Craig fans or the fans of this film and the kind of uh, narrative is told they will like Daniel Craig was when he was cast they won't like him especially now that the previous Bond has died so no matter what happens they are going to get criticism straight off the back which is not fair that's, yeah that's that's speculation I yeah. would probably I would say the I, opposite I think people uh, will be fine because they just want to one, unless maybe unless it turns out to be and this is disgusting that i should have to say it, this will be controversial but unless it's a controversial choice like a person of color or uh, somebody of a different sexuality or a woman um that gets cast in the i role. don't, in case, I, I, I don't think it'll be a woman like no. like, I mean, daniel, I, like daniel craig said make, make some like strong female characters so you don't have to change the gender of a established male character in books and stuff yeah Oh, I'm, I'm completely with you, and I've had this discussion with women who, who have understood it, and my point is just that I'm not saying you can't do that and you can't have what, this film kind of, you know, dipped its toes into the female 007, but at the same time, you can't then call yourself an Ian Fleming's James Bond movie because you're not Ian Fleming's James Bond. Yeah. At that point, you're a different character. Like, I mean, um, um, I heard the point that um, in the books is always been described as a white man, but yeah. the point is, if that is the case, if they do change it to a black man, I would love to see Idris Elba play the, um, James Bond. I think he would be yeah. fabulous. Yeah, and I, I can see the argument like, oh, well, he's always been described as white, and that's different in the book. But it's, it's very different to kind of... And maybe it would be different if he had a gender-neutral name or something like Sam, and then you could just have it be still the same. But again, it wouldn't yeah. necessarily... It wouldn't be the same character if you switch genders. It's not a situation like, for example, Doctor Who, where it's baked in that, you know, regeneration is a weird alien thing that can give you anything. So to me, it has to be a male actor, not for misogynistic reasons, no. um, but I'm fine if it turns out to be a, a person of colour or, like I said, anybody who happens to be a, a non-straight sexuality and we start, you know, mm. if they want to go ahead with that and have, um, you know, bisexual or homosexual yeah, I think and... I think the least controversial one there in terms of uh, production um, standpoint in terms of keeping to the books is uh, casting it maybe like a homosexual or a bisexual person as yeah, opposed to a person yeah, yeah. of colour I'm not saying again well, my ideal casting is Idris Elba so I'm not saying it shouldn't be a black person I'm just saying from a production standpoint linking to the books the sexuality would be the safest route to go down well they're kind of hinting at that anyway because there was a very there's a lot of, um, let's say, sexual tension in Skyfall between um, Silver and Bond, mm. and Silver very much hinting at kind of Bond being bisexual and kind of that kind of thing, which some people had a, had a huge problem with, but was kind of like, come on, it's James Bond. He he would clearly 
get go to bed with anything yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean it's a, I mean it's I, there's like a lot of women he goes to bed with yeah like every film oh what home woman is he going to sleep with today oh he's going to sleep with all three of them nice yeah exactly no, you but know, like, like yeah. I said you can see he's not going to be picky but yeah. regardless that's, the, um, the, that's the original kind of point a, I was going to make is I did tell you um, after you did give this explanation about Stephen's um, opinion I was like mm. well I saw this film and I loved it he saw this film and disliked it because he didn't think it was being true to the character and i can understand i have no context he has a context however i would still like without that context or maybe with the context i'll still like it but without that context i love the movie and i would not swap it to dislike this no, movie no, no. with the context so i feel like i'm in a better position than him just because i came out no. of this with a positive output as opposed to a, yeah. uh, a negative yeah, to be to give you the other side of that equation, which again gives the game away for the end. But I love the film as well, and as mm. somebody who is that, you know, I've seen every Bond film, just like Stephen has. Uh, unlike him, I own them all. I'm, I'm deep in the weeds, as I say. I've got encyclopedias and the making of books and everything. And I thought this ending was perfect for yes. this Bond, yeah. for this particular James Bond, as the end of this five. I think most story. would say it's like a not a perfect movie, but most would say it's a good, satisfying conclusion for this Bond. So. Yeah. I'm sure people and I'm, agree. Again, I, I, I could understand this point because I wouldn't say just have any Bond movie where Bond dies because, yeah, that would be... That wouldn't always work. But I no. think it works here because you've already done... You've done the groundwork and even Inspector, it's very much like I'm retiring and I'm going to live with this woman and, you know, I'm not going to be a spy anymore. So where do you take the story from there anyway? Yeah. Um, kind of logically, if you think about it, that's kind of the only place it could go. And that, that leads me to another point that I was thinking of in the movie. And again, it seems... See, it sounds like a detour, but bear with me, I have a point. But um, The TV series Smallville, which just reached the 20th anniversary, did this thing where it had Clark Kent have a mad love affair with Lana Lan his first love but then realized that obviously you've got to separate them because clark's got to be with lois lane in the end so it did this really ridiculous story where it had lana lang infected with some kind of kryptonite and it was like oh you can never get within like 10 feet of her again clark kent or you'll die horribly which now explains why you can't be with her even though she's clearly this impactful love of your life and i thought that's where this film was going and i was ready to hate it because i was like if this film ends with them going like um oh bond you can't see your the love of your life or your daughter again but you can still go out on missions so now you're going to rejoin and you're going to hate everything because you're frustrated at not being able to see them because of this genetic thing and i was like that would suck <laughs> i would have hated that plot line if that's what they went with yeah. so i'm actually really pleased they went the other way and we're just like now he's gonna die he's got nothing to live for at this point so mm. yeah yeah but to get back on track uh you did ask me about the music so i'm just gonna throw that question back at you without even answering it what do you think I of wouldn't... hans zimmer's score no no i didn't i definitely talked about you i think you might maybe getting a drink or whatever but i did say uh that you would appreciate that i really loved it because i didn't really notice the score during interstellar oh, but i think God. it was very impactful and it really enhanced the film for me the hans zimmer score i really appreciated it and i liked it a lot those of um, you that have listened to interstellar that are also listening to this uh review how you will know my opinion on this how can you not and you will understand how can you not know it's a score in interstellar i'm autistic <laughs> yeah sometimes. but you knew it's a score in this film but not interstellar interstellar which has literally the most popular one of the most sometimes popular scores in movies yeah movie history oh well but yeah um but, again um i agree this uh, yeah. music is fantastic and I think Zimmer knocked out of the park with the final 10 minutes but again he usually does his like climactic score towards the end of a film is always superb 
Yeah. Just to bring it back, because we've skipped over a little bit that I genuinely forgot until I'm looking at my notes now. Um, so the film doesn't actually start with the kind of big action sequences that we were talking about. Uh, it begins with um, a young Madeline uh, kind of and her what seems like an alcoholic mother. And she first meets the villain of this film, whose name I almost certainly won't remember because he was so unimpactful anyway. Hmm. Um, but let's see if I've written it. Yes, yeah, Safin. Sure. Yeah. Um, so she first meets Safin. Uh, with his crazy sort of baby doll mask and kills her mother because Mr. White, her father, had kind of killed his family or whatever. And we do get that cool sequence. And yeah. aside from the fact that Safin somehow doesn't age when Madeline does, which is very weird, um, I thought this was a really cool tense sequence of her, like, in the ice and him, you know, shooting to try to get to her and then in the end rescuing her and the, yeah. the tie-in of those two characters. I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, I think the whole reveal of... Uh yeah it's Zaffin I, I was just like oh my god I forgot the name already yeah Zaffin the whole reveal of him was really well done it like got a jump out of the, all the audience in, this, in the theatre oh. and um, my point is Rami Malek in this film I liked I know a lot of people don't like um, him in this film he is like the prosthetics he's just talking but I still think he's very sinister uh, with the very little he's given and I do think if you're going to criticise him sitting down, criticise not the actor, but the director or the writer for writing him and directing him in that position. It's not a fault of the acting, in my opinion. And I do really... I like the villain. I think the villain has an underbaked story and it's not really well developed. However, I do like the base. Um, his layer, you could say. Uh, you know the white building he's in that James Bond eventually does die in. I thought that was beautiful in the whole flower scene that was fantastic and she and the daughter couldn't like touch the flowers i thought that was fabulous and i guess that kind of showed the power that he had and i think it really did that well in terms of just showing how he is a powerful rich man and he's got control over these people and it gives him a false sense of security at times especially when like they're hidden in under that fishing well or wishing well um yeah james bond has literally just left them there and then he just pops around the corner like oh i'm here now and i just think that's fantastic fantastically eerie and i do think no 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 i don't i don't buy that for a second i, I think well for starters, that particular scene i remember talking about again with steven at the time and saying it was ridiculous because as soon as he was kind of shot me perhaps it's because i've seen that many of these films but the entire way through the action sequence i was like where is he He's clearly going to pop back up at the least opportune moment, and oh, he's not dead. You haven't made sure he's dead, so I was waiting for the inevitable kind of like ha ha. And so to me, that was very cliche. But I think that sums up the whole character. I think the villain in this movie was shite. Wow. I thought he was terrible, and it's partly because I don't really rate Rami Malek's acting most of the time, and I don't think he was great here. I don't think the foreign accent was necessary, and I don't think it worked. Uh, mm. I don't think he was sinister at all. He just came off as kind of wimpy and annoying. Uh, and when he started delivering his big villain speech about, you know, we're all, we're both the same, we, we both want better worlds, but my way is tidier. It's such a cliche that I'm literally sure I've heard that recently in a different thing, because it's so yeah. like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, um, I, I get people's yeah. criticism of it. It's like just a, po- a person talking with like heavy prosthetics on, not heavy prosthetics, but just with prosthetics. I wasn't a fan of the prosthetics either. Were you? I wasn't fine with that. It was more that like I didn't understand why he was putting on an accent because there was nothing to indicate that he had to be from 
any particular place or whatever um and it was hard to identify what the accent actually even was mm. and then it was it just didn't work for me it wasn't he didn't quite pull off whatever that accent was meant to be and if you compare it to for example um although i know these are foreign actors but um christoph waltz as blofeld or javier bardem as silver they talk with an accent and i'm like oh these people are sinister and they're talking and i'm listening whereas with rami malik i was like what I can't understand a word you're bloody saying <laughs> nah, that, that's just your accent. You can't understand accents, mate. Uh, <laughs> I understand everything, well, so I don't know about you. Uh, what happened with you? Well, regardless, I think there was too, it was too much like whisper and uh, whatever. But regardless, talking about since we're on that kind of subject, the villain kind of plots. Mm. This was the other thing that really bugged me about the movie is that it clearly dispatches the whole of Spectre way too easily, all in one room. And it's sure. like that's ridiculous they're supposed to be they're this overarching organization that have been like they've got their hands in everything and it's the whole plot of the first four movies and then in this one it's like they're all in one room never mind they're all dead like what that's a ludicrous statement for a start and then yeah. quite aside from that fact which is takes a huge leap of logic anyway um, and to be fully dis- give, uh, to give full disclosure here this actually comes from watching Pitch Meeting um, mm. who pointed this out to me but the villain's plot in terms of Safin is just that I'm so mad at Spectre because they killed my family or whatever, so that's my goal, which is why he goes after Madeline and her mom and whatever at the start of the movie. So then halfway through the movie, he dispatches all of Spectre. So then quite rightly, um, in pitch meeting, they were like, okay, so job done. He's he's fine. He's achieved his goal. Yeah. Like, so, like, so why is this still a movie? Why is he now like, and now I'm going to move on to a different thing, <laughs> which is just like where'd that come from you know what I mean? yeah. it doesn't make any sense yeah i agree and another point that you did make into if we're gonna stick with the negatives for a quick moment i think anna de Armas was pretty yes. wasted and i'm not quite yes, sure agreed. why she was there in the first place it could have been mm-hmm. given to someone else it is a very inconsequential role and i think she's she's very pretty she could have stayed around for longer i do think she's a she is a good actress what do you think yeah i fully agree with you and i'm disappointed because i think because as we pointed out this might be in its own like little pocket continuity it might preclude that character from appearing again in the most obvious ways um because well i mean she could i guess and they could just not acknowledge it but it's kind of a shame to have wasted her on a role that like you said could it it doesn't really serve a narrative purpose within the film anyway you could have cut the whole scene um but it's blatantly a matter of it's blatantly a matter of that they cast her because they were like, well, we need a super sexy, you know, single woman to market this film on. And we can't use the sort of kick-ass, um, you know, woman spy who's not going to be interested in anything. And we can't use um, James Bond's missus because she's only got eyes for him. So let's just stick a random scene in with this sort of sexiest woman we can find at the moment. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but it's got no point. <laughs> hmm. Particularly when you think about, like, the film goes to pains to point to bring back um, Jeffrey Wright as Felix Leiter um, yes. and to have him be an important part of the plot and it's like so why not just give him that scene exactly because that way you at least you at least get give Bond even more of a chance to no pun intended bond with him so that when he inevitably dies you're like oh this is even more impactful now Mm. because if you haven't seen the other films he gets like one scene with him yeah we do get that carol balance with leah seydoux there's some really weird names in this film Uh, (laughs) but yeah she plays like the love interest who kind of goes away but then comes back and then is like traumatized uh by the guy and i really enjoy her i really yeah that's great but she's not she's fantastic but the problem I have there and the problem the filmmakers had I think is that you can't really call her a Bond girl in that sense because while she is tied to the plot she is 
No, it's not that. It's a, she's tied to the plot and she's James Bond's love interest. But she's very yeah. much like a Bond girl isn't like, I'm going to marry you and whatever else, with the exception of uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Mm. So I, I would elevate her. I would say she's more than a Bond girl. Um, and oh, the Bond yeah. girl of this movie is probably Anna Diarmas, which again is weird because she gets one scene. Yeah. So, but, you know, but I appreciate what the film is doing in terms of giving. And with Leo, she James does Bond get the dignity. Like, yeah, mm. and in terms of giving Bond a more meaningful relationship and actually, you know, something that lasts between two films and even, you know, getting into having a daughter and stuff. I, I, I'm for that. I appreciate it. But at yeah. the same time, if that's what you're moving the Bond girl into being, don't then go, oh, but we also need to have some woman with big tits <laughs> just to have an action scene. I mean, I wouldn't you know what I mean? big. Yeah, but I, I get well, yeah. You get what I'm saying. We, have, we need to have some woman in a skimpy dress just having an action scene because it's James Bond after all. Yeah. Um, and, and considering your long history with like prediction scenes, when um, she said, oh, that's not your daughter, did you think it was his daughter? Not at first, but then I realised at the end what they were doing. Gotcha. I was the same. I know you predicted the stay thing in Instead of really quickly, so I thought uh, maybe, maybe this was the same case. But no, no. I I, I took her on face value, but I think that's the acting. Because um, oh yeah, Leia Seydu when she was like, she's not yours. I had no reason to doubt it because she didn't play that as like, and I'm lying. And it wasn't until the end when the villain almost reveals it to him, and then obviously in her last speech, she's like, oh. She has got your eyes and whatever else. I was like, ah, so you were lying. I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. Th this film does really well what I don't think Skyfall does as well. And I did tell you this. Well, I told you that I preferred this over Skyfall, but I never mm. kind of elaborated on why. With Skyfall, it's a really great action movie. It goes from action to action to action without taking a breath, really. Whereas mm. this movie and Casino Royale, which I also prefer to Skyfall, it's got more twists. This film has twists aplenty, and I really appreciate that. Like, I appreciate Skyfall on the spectacle front, but in terms of story, in terms of being gripped, in terms of being surprised, I think this film does that really well, and I think it, this is the best film for that since Casino Royale. I don't think Spectre does it amazingly. Skyfall has very little twists, whereas Casino oh, I disagree Royale... with you on that one. Really? Yeah, I would disagree because I think both of those examples, I think, do have the, the things that you're alluding to because Skyfall is basically all about M and it gives her the chance to get foregrounded into the action and the kind of... Um, yeah. The twist of, like, her connection to everything and of going... Essentially, of going back home for James Bond to, you know, Skyfall, which is what the film's named for. Um, so I think that does enough there and the character work is basically Bond and M. And in Spectre's case, I would say it's exactly what we've said with this film. It's basically uh, him and Leia Seydoux actually like falling into meaningful love and him by the end of the movie sort of saying, well, I've had enough. I'm, I'm jacking it in. I'm retiring and I'm going to go and live with you. And, you know, that was intended to be the end of his story until Daniel Craig agreed to come back for one more film. So, yeah, I think that impact is there and that kind of emotion in that film. The only one that I think really lacks it is Quantum of Solace, but oh, that's, of we've dis we could discuss the problems with that film at length. It's a film that was written during a writer's strike and it shows. So, yeah. you know, it, uh, that's probably the only film that I can actively say I dislike. Yeah, same. It's, I've always said that, though. It's the only Daniel Craig film, at least, uh, that I can say. Just like, it, it's, I don't like it at all. Yeah. And but it's if you the were... only one of the, it's the yeah. only one of these five, I think, that you could basically cut out and still get the exact same narrative one way or the other. Yeah. 
But yeah, before we do move on to another character, 007, technically, mm. um, I do want to touch upon our favorite kind of memorable scenes. And a memorable mm-hmm. scene for me is the ship actually sinking. Um, I do think it's a bit far-fetched, of course, like the ship is sinking for ages and we get some wide shots, exterior shots of literally the ship underwater, but somehow there's a pocket of air just there for good reason uh, to keep mm-hmm. him alive and how somehow he just kicks the door open, which would never happen in real life. Uh, but again, you have to suspend disbelief for uh, this film um, and, of yeah, course, the that's... franchise at all on a whole that's spy films isn't it really overall yeah yeah yeah, yeah but I really um, like the action like how can you not like the well I'm sure you like the action and you think it's good but how do you not think that scene is great I just didn't for start I didn't really remember that scene I didn't find it memorable or there wasn't anything that was like stood stood out for me it was Mm. it's in my mental rolodex with a thousand James Bond scenes on boats and the most memorable part about it is the death of Felix Felix, Leiter which I did not agree with and I agree with again shout out to um, Stephen what's it called pitch, to pitch meeting <laughs> in this case I thought you forgot your friend's name there. I was like oh my god no, no, no. there you the pitch meeting points out that there's no story reason for a lot of these things except that it's the end and you've got to wrap things up mm. so it is very much like we've killed off Felix Leiter why'd you do that got to wrap things up okay Spectre's gone we've somehow killed them all in one room what we've got to wrap things up Blofeld's dead why got to wrap things up and yeah. it's the end and I was like well, that was one too many where I was like really though come on you know what I mean you've hallmarked oh, a thousand times this is the end thing so I was like yeah you could have there was no point in including Felix Leiter to kill him off just because you could especially if you were planning to kill off James Bond at the end anyway you know I, I thought and, he, I thought he was a good kind of comic relief character before that I know he's not a comic relief character but he did serve that no. purpose in this film in my opinion no I'd always love having him in the film but not if his only purpose to be there is to be betrayed and killed which yeah. is just kind of silly um, mm. yeah but we do I get thought... the awesome scene I'm not sure what the building is like how you would describe it it's a, it's a venue I would say and you have um, Anna and Daniel like shooing off these villains yeah. from either side and I thought that was also Cuba, yeah. a really yeah in Cuba I thought that was a really superb scene as well how it kind of like switched between the two in terms of mm, camera. that was great yeah there were quite that, a few continuous shots the, as well which I really enjoyed yeah that was the one action scene that I did actually think was memorable but then I'm partly like I'm thinking to myself am I remembering it because it's a really good action scene or because it's Anna de Armas's only scene in the film <laughs> um, so it's like but I do think it is a really good action scene maybe I was just maybe the bias helps me to focus more or whatever but I did I like that it was all one continuous thing and it kind of goes on different levels and mm. them sort of spinning around each other with guns in this kind of choreographed way I'm always a sucker for that kind of thing yes um, so yeah I appreciated it but on a on a just to get back to my previous thing on a on an opposite point from the action in terms of including Felix Leiter the one thing I did appreciate because I wasn't expecting it was um, when Bond has to kill the kind of CIA traitor mm-hmm. uh, and he says something like oh come on brother help me and he just says I, I had a brother his name was Felix Leiter and I was like oh that was I was expecting him to say um, Blofeld because of the whole events of the previous film yeah um, but instead when he flipped it and was like his name was Felix I was like that's impactful and I kind of appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, but again, it's it, the film had a lot of plots and I think it was at least 20 minutes, half an hour too long and could have cut one or two of them to give you the, mm. the central crux. That's yeah. the thing. I think I must be the only one who actually didn't have a problem with the pacing because right. I was thoroughly gripped with this film uh, yeah. all the way through except for maybe like 30 seconds where I was just like kind of drifting off a bit. Not to sleep, but like 
daydreaming i was like oh this has to be done after this so it kind of did lose my interest in some parts especially with the nanotech explanations um mm. which did kind of get convoluted i believe at the end it wasn't completely clear uh, why he couldn't leave well he, it was ex- made clear but the actual point about the nanotech wasn't in my opinion and the same with my nan and my granddad who also criticized the actions of james bond he, uh, my granddad was saying because he's a fan of the old stuff as well and he was saying oh if it was this james bond actor he would have went down there or he would have done this which daniel craig didn't do and again that's not a actor thing that's just a director but again well, that's I've just, seen you, the you've got to acknowledge different times i mean you can't you can't say oh yeah. you know because the bond in 1963 would do this that the bond now should because times move on that's people have got to accept that a little bit of sometimes course. you know but again yeah. it's linking to the steve uh, point earlier about the yeah, yeah yeah the characteristics um oh yeah completely yeah. Yeah, but I was completely gripped with it and I was taken away. And again, only those two moments around the midpoint of the film, second act really, which is inconsequential anyway, not much happens. I, I say not much happens, it's quite a lot of talking. Uh, you, you get scenes of Rami Malek, you get scenes back in um, the constituency and you also get the scenes where, again, they're reunited and she walks out of the room as the villain kind of approaches, which I also found a slightly awkward scene. Uh, but again, I do enjoy it and I do think it's really well performed, especially from Craig. Again, I want to touch upon it again. A lot of people have been saying it. I completely agree. In my opinion, it's Daniel Craig's best performance. When he's climbing up um, the ladder to go to his fate while he's on the phone, I think the the specific moment that really stands out for me is where he actually emerges out of the kind of the door like the thing that kind of opens up at the top at the top of the ladder and of course he's shot so kind of, again you have to spend disbelief or belief or whatever the phrase is uh, that he can actually climb the ladder when he's been shot once or twice but i just think the emotion on his face is phenomenal and i don't with james bond there's a lot of acting of course but there's not a lot of character beats action is over character in my opinion except from yeah this i agree yeah i mean that's the kind of point is that you wouldn't really get character yeah. depth before and this is this comes from somebody who's a fan there's not yeah. a lot of movies that give the james bond character a ton of emotional depth until daniel craig yeah but maybe i'm just kind of narrow-minded because great acting to me is 99 percent of the time drawing the character beats and you know i'm a sucker for character beats and i think daniel craig finally got to show off this of course you do have the death scene of m um in the skyfall movie which i think hits less than this film in terms of uh james bond death of course the james bond death is far more impactful than the death of m in my opinion would you say the same of course of course because it's the protagonist and the score is much more emotive um Mm -hmm. But yeah, well, and finally got again, that scene. This, um, I should probably have said this sooner, but again, and once again, spoilers for On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Um, when they kill off Bond using the same song, the um, We Have All the Time in the World yeah. from On Her Majesty's Secret Service, they, they were well aware of what they were doing, mm. that that would pull on the heartstrings of like long-term James Bond fans and bring that memory kind of back and everything. And it's a song that gets you emotional anyway, but linking it to that, um, I think is... And I knew that from... Because it's it's actually... It's what's the word um kind of hinted at very early in the film it's, it's set up for you because uh, during one scene bond and um 
Madeline are kind of talking and she says she has no time or something and she he says oh darling you have all the time in the world to her yes. and I was like oh I know what that means yeah oh that's that doesn't bode well but I thought it would probably mean she would die you know what I mean mm. um but yeah so I, I think that was really impactful that was one of the things I appreciated them doing and that did really hit hard for me yeah I guess they're kind of notes back to the past for you yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah. which is again why i need to get through the films yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. well just that one really but But we need to talk about the the elephant in the room 007 Mm -hmm. we have spoken Mm -hmm. about this privately would you like to say what your thoughts are on the 007 in this film this is probably going to be controversial and it's going to make me sound like the kind of person that i'm not ordinarily um ordinarily nice that i'm I'm not at all sorry um but yeah i just don't think the character had a point in the movie other than and again this sounds horrible because it's all right-wing buzzwords but other than box ticking other than oh person of color and woman now gets to be a 007 which great cool but give that character a personality which to me she just didn't have there was no connection she had no connection to anything or anyone in the film she just kind of kept on appearing yeah um, and my least favorite films are the films where she's like jealously bickering over who gets to get the 007 code name or whatever um and yeah even to the point that because she has no connection i thought it was incredibly lazy writing that at the very end when she has to kill the russian doctor guy who invented the virus they have him randomly become racist out of nowhere to give her the motivation sort of nowhere he's like with this i could kill your entire race and she gives you the worst line in the movie which is do you know what time it is it's time to die which is ah, (laughs) (laughs) writing that entire scene from start to finish (laughs) yeah Uh, i did get that kind of uh essence from the cinema screening as well it's like the oh this is going on for a bit too long we don't really don't need this uh but the scene that i do really love with her in where we don't kind of get that is where she takes off her wig and then he's like i didn't realize that was going to be the thing you took off i love that scene i I just burst out laughing and yeah yeah, the cinema burst out laughing as well it was a really packed cinema screen and that's the one scene where she isn't really kind of on that subject and i think it really stands out the humor to be clear i love the actress lashana lynch and i love the i think she's very good what we got of the character in terms of being a kick-ass you know blank slate fair enough Mm. Um, and would I want to see a movie with her I'll watch a spin-off tomorrow if you're going to actually give her more than just I'm here to kick things and break away for a man to get through past me you know what I mean because that's what I said she wasn't connected to this story which is why she felt shoehorned into it because it's not her story it's James Bond's and you know, I, I didn't see the link there. If people do, then fair enough. I'm not going to say, you know, fair that you're wrong or whatever, but I didn't see the purpose in this movie for having ha- having a replacement 007 of any kind and yeah. having just not retired the number. It just seemed like it was, again, it, it was one of the things that I don't like is that they just stick plot on top of plot on top of plot, and it's very much a hat on a hat because you didn't need a lot of this stuff to tell whatever story they wanted to tell. You only really needed, like, Bond, Madeline, the villain, and you know the mi6 guys but again it seems like it was designed to be like oh you know what will get us uh, in the newspapers if we have a new 007 but it's a black woman oh that'll get us uh, interested people write about that and it'll rile up all the right people and stuff and it's like yeah but it's so cheap it's such a cheap thing to do if there's no reason for it and, yeah. um, what we're doing on, on essentially a- michael is we are giving a really negative review for a film that we really enjoy so if it is a self-contained story then these characters may not be able to return which is 
in my yeah. opinion, suicidal because it's majorly disappointed if that's true. Because what that's is what I mean, done yeah. this film is set up quite a few little threads, and because yeah. of the death, how will continuity wrap up said threads? Like, well, if this is yeah, it's on its own, I don't mind the, those threads being open. But what I'm disappointed with is the missed opportunity for more of that. Well, yeah, exactly, which is my point. Like, why introduce things that you might think would be cool going forward in a film where 90% of it is you wrapping everything up with all of the killing things off and stuff? Yes. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it seems counterproductive to introduce anything in what you're making as your final part of a story because naturally it can't go anywhere especially if you're then putting such an ending on it that like and james bond died therefore you know there can't be another bond film at least in this timeline i mean you can i suppose you could make another spin-off or whatever and just say it's in the world that james bond's now dead but yeah would would the audience go to see that is the question um but having said that they did bring Judy Dench over from the Pierce Brosnan films into to see the, the premiere, right? Uh, oh no, the, of course. No, no, over from the uh, Pierce Brosnan bonds into the yeah. Daniel Craig's and just didn't explain it. So she was M in both versions, but it can't possibly be the same person. So mm. they could, I guess, bring everyone back. But again, it it means that you've had no character development because you're starting with a blank slate because you're saying these are the same characters, the same actors, but they're not the ones you just saw which is yeah. so weird and again it's like what what have you done that for so yeah it'll be very interesting to see what they do with the next movie because it seems like whatever they do they're going to have a mountain to climb one well, way or the other that's what I'm saying about the actor no yeah, matter what happens yeah. they're going to have a difficult upward journey to kind of get to the, the Daniel Craig level because in well, I'm going to get to the point later about your tournament that you've done but before we do get there I'm interested to know in terms of tournament-wise, if you're to put all the James Bond actors together, you personally, who would you say your top three is? Oh, that's tough, man. It is. Um, it's like, again, slight detour, but it's like Doctor Who in that people always say that your James Bond is whoever you grew up with. Matt Smith, you number one. <laughs> I no, well, I was, uh, I'm a wilderness years child, so I kind of don't. Ah, Paul McGann. Well, yeah, I suppose it would be, but I don't fit into that mold yeah. in such an easiest way because it wasn't, and the first one I saw was Tom Baker, which might be why I connect with him, but that's a different conversation. Um, so in terms of James Bond's, I have a real soft spot for Pierce Brosnan because that was the first... I mean, that mm. GoldenEye was 1995, so I would have been 12-ish, maybe a year older. Yeah. Um, and that was when I was really starting to focus on films and concentrate and could appreciate them. Um, so that was the Bond that I watched the first kind of... And that was the very first Bond that I saw a film of in the cinema, and it was the one that I followed for all of his four films, um, and I appreciated him. So to me, like I said, Pierce Brosnan has a bit of a soft spot, so he might be up there in my estimations. Okay. Um, well, because that was, my, that was my bond. But yeah, I would have to include Daniel Craig for the emotional impact, I think, one way or the other, hmm. um, of his particular stories. And I would, I would like to include George Lazenby, but I think because it's only one movie, it's kind of unfair of me to do so. And because I couldn't not put in one of my favourites who again it's not a popular choice but I love Roger Moore's James Bond oh no I love and I the, would say the same yeah, yeah she loves yeah. Roger Moore mm. yeah I love the kind of yes it's cliche but the very sort of upper class English gent of it all and the kind of gives a sly <laughs> wink and a joke and yes people complained because it wasn't as brutal or as serious as the Sean Connery Bond uh, but to me it was I appreciated it a little bit more because it was it knew it was silly but it was like um you know this is a silly concept so go with it i guess yeah and uh yeah i like a lot of those movies even ones that people don't like i mean 
The only one I detest of those films, of the Roger Moores, is The Man with the Golden Gun. And it's a film I just don't like in general. Um, but I like all the others, even like Moonraker and uh, View to a Kill and films that are not popular. I, I could enough. watch them anytime. Yeah. <laughs> but now, uh, so the final act, Mr. Michael. I love it. Mm-hmm. However, there are two nitpicks. Okay. Which kind of resolve themselves because he has to get to the top. Anyway, first of all, I did mention it earlier. He does get shot once or twice. Yeah, he still gets up, he still survives, and he still walks around and runs. Why is that all about? Why didn't that's, he... Yeah. I'm fine with that. That's that's typical I, spy movie I, cliche I, stuff. I you, I'm fine with that. Even if you just think he's yeah. giving it the last of his strength before he dies and whatever, and yeah, I'm I fine can with understand it. that. Yeah, so, so am I. But also, something that really confused me, why did he, uh, Rami Malek's villain just let the daughter go? It's like, oh, I'm going to take you on this adventure, and then randomly in the corridor oh yeah just go back to mum and I just he didn't re- no 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 he, he wasn't planning to take him on an adventure he was kidnapping her basically for the heck of it and what his reaction there was that she bit him or whatever and hurt him and his response was just like fine fend for yourself you little shit you know what I mean so, I felt that was a bit easy to be honest with you that's I mean it is but there's a lot of moments like that that are easy just to get people from A to B but yeah. again it wasn't it wasn't untrue of his character like he didn't want a daughter he wasn't like and I'm going to adopt you and make you my daughter now and so it was understandable that because of his temper and the way he was, if she acts out like that, his response mm. is just going to be fine. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to just go ahead. Then. <laughs> yeah. But another reason why I do like Rami Malek's villain is because of that scene where he does shoot him and then he kind of just towers over him. And yes, it is very quick because then he suddenly leaves. But for that two, three minute moment, because uh, we knew, well, I didn't know that he was going to die, obviously, but you did get that kind of sense that oh shit he's been shot he's injured this guy is a gun and he's shooting him actively how is he gonna get out of this you know and then suddenly Rami Malek goes off leaving him alive and then he just walks off and then he has to save himself unsuccessfully of course but for those two three minutes I was like wow this is really gripping intense and that was the whole reason for that was because of Rami Malek uh, well of course the writing of him killing um not killing but like shooting him but i still think that was really well acted by the pair and again um the character beats from daniel craig because again um this is probably the most he's talked in this final 15 minutes of the film the most he's talked consecutively in the james bond films except for maybe the scenes in casino royale where he's around the casino table but my point is he's really fabulous and when he's uh, running away to get back to the boat or whatever to get off the island the you get this kind of panning up shot of the well not panning up but just this slow shot panning up of the the thing that would ricochet the missile is closing again and i thought that was massively directed i loved that and just the share like oh excited excited and then oh crap no the yeah. the uh, missiles are minutes away and how is he gonna get out of this i just thought tonally it was superb and then again the final 10 minutes blew me away again we spoke about it how it kind of didn't cut until he was literally being exploded it was fabulous it was one of the, one of the many lines that had me almost uh, or literally in tears uh, but i'll go over a few of the rest were you like, not crying yeah it was at the end oh, okay. yeah but yeah, like i, I said crying. um it, it, I wasn't so much when, when James Bond died because it was kind of like I was stunned yeah. and I wasn't during that line but I was getting there because that's when they were playing Louis Armstrong and I was like oh you bastards yeah, um, but I, what, yeah, yeah. what really broke me was the, um, everyone from MI6 kind of pouring him a drink and saying 
to James and and that. That and was like, fabulous. Oh, that's that's it. I'm gone. <laughs> but yeah, I do um, prefer that monologue as opposed to the family one. The family yeah, one I didn't guess, hit yeah. me as hard. It did for me, but I can see where you're coming from. But yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, but related to what you were saying, I should really have said sooner. But yeah, Carrie Joji Fukunaga, the director, fantastic job because uh, he directed both the action and the emotion uh, equally brilliantly and uh, kind of stylishly without being flashy and over the top. Uh, and I think, yeah, well, not distractingly so anyway. And I think the film was fantastically directed. So I do kind of hope he gets perhaps a chance to direct a, a different unconnected Bond film or whatever. But certainly a director I'll be paying attention to anyway. Yeah. Uh, and. Um, yeah, I don't know who wrote what parts of this film, but it's been widely publicised that Phoebe Waller-Bridge did a like a rewrite on it. Um, so kudos for whatever you wrote. I believe she did. Stuff. Yes. <laughs> yeah, she did. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I'll just say that um, a couple of little notes that I haven't mentioned yet. I like that there's a bit more of a reintroduction of gadgets in this one. Yes. Um, yes. There's a distinct lack of that in the Daniel Craig era, and they exactly, were kind of yeah. saying the fans like when they were doing the Q and A with him, they were like. Why aren't there no gadgets? And then Q when and I it. saw, yeah, like a, there was a YouTube video where they got him with Vogue, No, I but think. did you, you? You must appreciate the pun there. There was a Q and A about gadgets. Oh, for God! I did it. That that was completely coincidental. <laughs> I swear to God. I wish that wasn't. But yeah, I, I, I wish I knew that. But uh, I noticed this straight away that the there was a massive load of gadgets well not massive but there were a handful of gadgets more than there have been yeah I mean that's even the, and I think they were all impressive like they were they served yeah. the purpose of the plot yeah because even in Skyfall or Spectre one of the two the whole joke is just Q who's normally the gadget guy with the crazy outlandish stuff in the other movies goes to give Bond his packet and, and it's just like <laughs> it's a gun and a pen you know what yeah. I mean and it's like oh is it an exploding pen or something no it's a pen yeah and a gun just shut up get on with your mission yeah and it's like the only yeah, uh, just before we get to conclusions the only other story note I wanted to make is um, yes I kind of get that it's necessary and whatever but given the nature of we're still kind of living in a pandemic and stuff I can see why this film was delayed and I do think it's a little bit distasteful as a plot because it's centers entirely around we're going to infect so much of the world with this virus so uh, to me yeah. I was I was very slightly uncomfortable at the end with kind of like oh, I disagree um, you can disagree if you want I'm not you, you can't disagree that I was uncomfortable <laughs> no, no, I I, no I dictate how you feel <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it's a bad thing one with other it just it made me uncomfortable because it was very close to the knuckle at this particular time yeah. especially since I was in the cinema nervous about being there for like the second time I was like oh, were you at least not sweating uh, profusely this time oh I was sweating profusely all the time oh, no no I wasn't actually this time I was um quite well positioned I was well positioned, positioned at the back and nice. I had foolishly bought myself um, a bucket of like, salt, a combination uh, salted and sweet popcorn from uh, the spa for that's, like, what, that's my choice all the time yeah nice. it was like a pound from the spa and I was like oh this looks good I'm, I'm sure it'll be mostly packaging <laughs> and I opened it and it really wasn't it was like a massive bucket full of popcorn so I was just trying desperately to get rid of it and get through it and share it with Stephen and everything and, uh, yeah. yeah so <laughs> that's my overriding memory here isn't I was distracted by sweating or by the heat in the cinema it was I was distracted by trying to get rid of this freaking popcorn <laughs> but it was a three hour movie so I did succeed <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. But, yeah, uh, yeah but I, I guess there's my final point before we do get to the audience interaction then scores is you made a point about feeling stunned about the death mm. and when the lights rolled up there was a woman um black haired uh, white woman i don't know what how to explain uh, what she looked like <laughs> but yeah Good. the lights went up and she kind of turned around and looking at everyone else and she was just 
in awe and she was stunned and she was you could see the glint in her eye where she was crying where she'd been mm. crying and i just thought that's how we all feel love and i just thought yes yeah. that it was a stunning film and i can't believe steve, I thought, yeah. steve left it like angry i i'm sad for him I can he get wasn't angry as such. He's not yeah. really the kind of person that gets angry, but it was it was sad for me because I was very much stunned and kind of, I got out and the very first thing he said was, well, that was disappointing. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm still in the middle of like being stunned by it all and affected, but okay. And I was like, well, why was it? I liked it. Well, James Bond doesn't die. You know, it's never happened now. Michael, 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 Michael. Would you like Indeed. us to go on to the oh. Ask the Audience section? The Audience Interaction section. Uh, is I thought I was doing I... Millionaire then. Yes, go for it. <laughs> well, I'm not going to have to phone a friend for this, but oh, I will go through well, it. Well, you will phone me in a minute when I go on to my audience interaction. <laughs> uh, yes, I have a few audience interactions. This is from Letterboxd. Um, just a few of my kind of mutuals <laughs> and friends. They're not super long, but I will mention them. Uh, this is from Eric Zipper, uh, who is on YouTube. Uh, and he gave the film three and a half stars and says, I liked a lot of things about this, especially the first hour which ruled literally nothing about Safin made sense to me logistically or emotionally from the writing to the performance I think you could basically remove him completely letting Blofeld slash MI6 itself kind of fill in the gaps and you'd end up with a movie that's 40 minutes shorter and twice as good which I kind of see where he's coming from with that this is from Esteban Rodriguez who gave the film two and a half stars and says it feels coincidental for me that every theme song for these movies represents the quality of the rest of the film you know my name absolutely awesome another way to die atrocious skyfall really good writings on the wall mediocre terrible no time to die both the song and the movie are fine both have heights that are really high and other parts that are not good this is more for the movie I kind of like the song sure <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, this is from Abby Freel who gave the films three and a half stars uh, the film and says maybe Phoebe Waller-Bridge should do rewrites on like every movie going forward okay calm down Abby uh, this is from Alex Marzonia who gave the film five stars uh, and says holy moly this movie rules didn't feel the length and loved all the choices it makes though the latter acts aren't as strong as the first few to me it's the perfect combination of the old and new Bond movies I also just bought into everything that was throwing at me and didn't try to predict anything and just let moments sink in and the tears well I agree with that because I did too uh, it really helps that I watched all the Craig Bonds in the past few days and the stunning IMAX footage was damn overwhelming which I'm sure you could relate to <laughs> Will yeah this is from someone just called Jonathan, who gives the movie four stars. I don't know his surname, but he's my mutual friend on Letterboxd. And he says, No Time to Die is exciting and full of action, emotional and not unemotional. Okay. Uh, best, of, uh, best of of the previous Craig films. Yes, like many endings, No Time must bring all the storylines to a sensible end. Despite its length, the film is too short. Wow. And here lies the problem because the film looks very overloaded and unfortunately often gets lost. But not least in spite of this, it is also a Bond best of uh, a deal. And my goodness, it's worth it. Goodbye, Mr. Bond. Yeah. Um, don't really agree with a whole lot of that, but you know, in the interests of fairness, there we go. And finally, uh, this is from my friend Dan, who again, no surname, but um, uh, Letterboxd Pro, who's a mutual of mine. He gives the movie four stars and says, uh, I have a lots of thoughts on this, but for now, here's what I'll say. Although I very much enjoyed No Time to Die, it did feel like a Hollywoodized version of James Bond compared to the rawness of, say, Casino Royale. 
it's definitely one of the more emotionally charged Bond films. Daniel Craig gives a great performance that will likely fly under the radar and the action is always entertaining. The villainous plan is pretty neat and feels very timely. However, Rami Malek is wasted a little bit. He doesn't show up until a good hour into the film. Obviously, somebody arrived there because he's in the first scene. Uh, on a technical <laughs> level, everything is there, but my issues tend to come from the script. Uh, just a notch below Casino Royale and Skyfall, way better than Quantum of Solace. Haven't seen Spectre. Dude, come on. Wow. You, you only see Hobster anyway. But if you're a diehard fan of the classic Bond sensibilities, you might find this strays from the path. Entertaining, technically proficient from the score to the cinematography, direction to production design, and emotional with some humorous moments, a few too many, which at times make it feel like an MCU film. I can understand that, but I, I didn't man. feel like that. Well, shut up. <laughs> Insecure, films did way before. Insecure. Just, but it, <laughs> it does feel more along the lines of Mission Impossible than 007, though the action isn't quite on that level. Overall, it's a strong send-off for Craig, but there are a few questionable decisions for me with the screenwriting okay mm. don't agree but there we go uh and that's I mean, it i will give my own review when we get to it yeah i'm not going to do the same as you i'm not going to do the reviews i'm just going to read out the scores um and because i have been <coughs> coughing like nuts as you just heard my co-host Michael do and i'm going to cough as well we are ill today i'm not ill i'm just um <laughs> uh star wars fan 007 gave it a four star a Bean Soup gave it a three star. Jack Burton 1234 gave it four and a half star. Will Templar gave it a mm star. Oh, oh. Marvel Man gave it a mm ah. star. <laughs> Harry Membry gave it a four star. Dan Z1 gave it a 3.5 star. Rannick Designs gave it a four star. Joe DeCon gave it a 3.5 star. Dan gave it a four star. Jonathan gave it a four star. Matt Hall. Some may know as Matt Whelan gave it a five star. George Sherrod, who some may know as Ace Creeper, gave it a four star. And Jane gave it a heart without a score, but I think she does like it. I'm going to click onto her review. Yeah. Uh, RIP all to Casual Rose on the next James Bond. Okay. Uh, her, her choices are James Norton, Aidan Turner, Tom Hiddleston, Rami Malek. Harry Styles, James Norton, Ugh. Mr. Clean, the entire band of Murmured and Sons, Lewis from H2O, Hotel Trivago. <laughs> nice. I like that. Nice. Uh, but yeah, that wraps up the audience interaction for this so, episode. Um, yeah, just to bring a little bit little bit more into it then, we did actually, um, or rather Will did put out a poll onto the um, Hit or Miss Big Screen Twitter. Ah, yes, it uh, did. So, Will, would you like to go through the results of that poll first of all, and then we have another thing to talk about? Yeah, yes, we sure do, Mr. Michael. Um, so I put out a poll three hours ago because Michael, my incompetent co-host, had... <laughs> Uh, I put up a poll saying, what would you rate No Time to Die out of five stars? Uh, Michael did think that this would be a divisive poll, and it turned out to be that. But we do have one. Nice a film, yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, the results of the f- poll as a result of the film being divisive. Whatever. Uh, the film got a five star from 47.6% of the 21 people that voted, clearing away the winner. Then in second place, in terms of most votes... Uh, two star being the lowest star we could give because of okay. course it's a Twitter poll you can only have four options so it goes five star then two star with 28.6 and then four star with 23.8 and then interestingly okay. not a single person voted for a three star so right. you, a lot of people either yeah. really enjoyed it 
or disliked it, which I find interesting. Yeah, love it or hate it. Nobody's really in the middle on it, is there? Yeah. So, okay. Uh, so yeah, just to uh, to give a little bit of extra flavour, then what I um, what I've been doing, if you follow me on Twitter, you might know this. On my personal Twitter page for the last few days, I've been doing a poll um, or a series of polls um, in a tournament to find out the best James Bond film. Uh, and it's we so tight are right now. At time of recording, That's it's not said. over. We've got like almost a full day left, but at time of recording, we are onto the final, and the final has ended up being between two Daniel Craig films. Uh, it is between Casino Royale and Skyfall. And I just want to so, point out here: No Time to Die did uh, go out in the semi-finals, but that's a good, did, a good yeah. final. No pick. Time to Die was included, but yeah, it was. It, it went out in the semi-finals, and um, which is if anybody's, uh, we discussed it again in my previous podcast. But if anybody's wondering where Goldeneye is, because it's very good, it faced Casino Royale, so it was doomed as soon as that happened. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so yeah, will. As things stand, that's been a few hours since mm. I posted the poll. Where are we on that with the who, who's winning, who's not? Four hours have passed, and your poll has 51 votes, and with 51% of the vote, yes, oh. there's 1% in it, it's Casino Royale. Oh, but, which, I mean, it can still change, but, but yeah, that's earlier, just how close it is. Yeah, earlier when I was saying, always oh, took a big twist, uh, Skyfall was actually still winning, but Skyfall, uh, Skyfall was still winning by 2%, so it's literally tipping between the two right now, so it's, it's be, very tight. Uh, I'll be honest, I looked earlier on, and when I looked, it was exactly 50-50, which surprised me. So, yeah, Fair. it's been changing a few times, so um, it'll be interesting to see where it, that ultimately ends. It shows ends how popular the Daniel Craig films are, though. Oh, yeah. Especially those two, yeah, completely. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, great. So, did we want to give uh, your conclusion and score, and then I can give mine? Yeah, sure. I might die of coughing, but um, please don't. We'll see how we go. I said, "Well, shit." Going to review this properly alongside Spectre and Skyfall tomorrow once I get home from work. Needless to say, I thought it was great, and as it turns out, I did not properly review it the day after. So, uh, yeah, this is a bit of humble pie. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's a five star for me. I wish I gave it a proper conclusion. But you can tell which one of us did the notes this week. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I mean, you've, you've went into detail about the things that you liked and disliked, and I think you've justified the score, so uh, fine. There were, very, yeah. there were very few detracting factors of this film, and I was just blown away. Um, just to get into my conclusion, I just said that there's a lot I could say about this film. Um, firstly, I agree with the people who say it's a perfect ending to the five-film saga of Daniel Craig's Bond. Uh, I can see there being some disagreement, including my friend who I saw the film with, but to me, it just hit perfect. Um, the film itself is not quite perfect, however. It's a bit too long. Certain characters, as I've touched on, are superfluous or wasted. The villain, for me, is pretty atrocious, and there really isn't a standout, breathtaking action scene, which, again, I got into earlier. Um, where the movie soars, though, is in character and emotional beats. There's some great writing, some fantastic acting, and an impact that I definitely felt by the end of the story, uh, which paid powerful and emotional homage to a pre-Daniel Craig Bond film that I've mentioned. Um, I expect there'll be dissenting voices as the film takes big swings and isn't shy about it but for me it hits perfectly and slots in as the perfect final chapter for this particular James Bond unifying all five films into a complete and brilliant story and despite my criticisms I loved it and I would give it four and a half stars so you love I will, to see it um, so yeah did you have any other last thoughts before I uh, conclude things Will? Uh, so uh, for our next episode we are going to be reviewing I will cut Drum this roll. bell that did not sound like a drum roll. That sounded like a wet fart. Okay, hang on. Drum roll. Halloween special. <laughs> Woo! Just, uh, so it was meant to be with Dom, as I did say in the previous episode. 
but uh, we're doing it a bit differently. We're going to be doing Halloween kills on the 15th of November, but on the 28th of uh, October. Yeah, so we next week, on the 31st of October, just to clarify. Oh, wait, will it? Yeah, we're recording it on the 28th. We're not uploading it on the oh, same we, day. We, oh, of course we redid it. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be, a, this. it'll be a, no I'm not airing this out it's got to be raw Michael it's got to be raw the Halloween special will be uploaded on the 31st where we review the original 70s movie Halloween of course and of course the 2018 version of Halloween because apparently according to Michael the geek himself he did say that these three the 70s one the 2018 one and the 2021 Halloween Kills one are the only three technically canon ones now so yeah. on that note um i'll pass it over to michael yeah again do join us for that one yeah will hasn't seen any of the um, halloween movies yet um i've seen all of them so i've seen like the three or four different timelines but i did point out that that's fine because will only needs to really watch halloween 1978 and 2018 because 2018 is a complete uh, reboot of everything except that original movie which it serves as a sequel to um, and then obviously halloween kills as a sequel to that and then halloween ends will be out next year as the conclusion of that particular timeline but um Regardless, it's 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 not as complicated as it sounds, and it'll give us a nice uh, chance to re- produce and to bring out a Halloween episode on Halloween. Pronounce <laughs> book like I would book. You can find me. Uh, I I do a hit or miss Doctor Who channel. That is what I do. <laughs> nah, say book normally. Come on, book, book. There's two O's, not a U. <laughs> no, but that's how people pronounce it, other than you. Book. Off do they? Book. <laughs> that's a type of deer. Just say book. Book. There we go. Not it's not book. the same word. Yeah, book. It's the way you say not book. <laughs> we <laughs> need to wrap this up. See you guys in a bit. Peace <laughs> out. We're wrapping up on that Got note. You there. Bye. Bye. <laughs>